When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. The Hartford understands protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-size companies like yours to help manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. Meet Gary. Gary's about to become an Einstein in an instant. Whoa, Einstein hair. I like it. That's right, Gary, because you're using Salesforce powered by Einstein AI to connect data, predict business trends, generate personalized content, and wow customers. I do feel a lot smarter. Because you're not just Gary anymore. You're Gary, empowered by Einstein AI. Did you hear that, team? I'm an Einstein. Oh, can I get a selfie? The number one AI CRM. Now everyone's an Einstein with Salesforce. Now, from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. Today, we received news that our economy had 0% inflation in the month of July. He might rip it in half and throw the one we weren't using on the floor, and we would have somebody come in and tape it back together. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective. From D.C.'s top names. I was going to get this done come hell or high water. We believe in the rule of law, and that's what our country is about. I believed he was going to run before. I'm stronger in my belief now. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. It might be ridiculously hot outside, but inflation is cooling. The CPI number out this morning was 8.5. We're going to hear more from Wisconsin Congressman Brian Stile on his reaction to that news. Plus, Donald Trump was in the hot seat again today, pleading the fifth during a live deposition in a New York case involving his real estate business. And, and then uh, we're gonna we had another round of midterm elections yesterday. What do they tell us about November? I'm Emily Wilkins filling in for Joe Matthew today for the fastest hour in politics. So obviously, big story today that CPI report: inflation is still high, but not as high as it was last month, falling to 8.5 percent. Gas, airfares, those prices are down, but cost of rent. Cost of food, that's still climbing. Inflation has remained a top issues for voters throughout this year. And we know from the nonpartisan Congressional Budget Office that we can expect high inflation to persist into 2023. With us now to discuss this and other issues is Congressman Brian Stile, a Wisconsin Republican. Congressman, thank you so much for joining Sound On. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. I wanted to just sort of jump right into it, start talking about the big news of the day, obviously the CPI numbers. And I want to get your sense of what the takeaway is. I mean, obviously the report this morning showed that inflation is slightly down to 8.5%. Is this a good sign? It's it's good that it's down. But when we dig into the numbers, I don't think it gives a lot of confidence that long term we're moving in the right direction. What do I mean by that? We look and see that energy prices are down, but not because supply is up, but because demand is down, as if we're already in a recession. And so I remain concerned about the broader impacts that this is going to have on our economy, that our economy has contracted last quarter 
we may continue to see that going forward. What we need to do is work in Washington, D.C. to increase supply and predict in particularly unleashing American energy. And what we're seeing from the Biden administration, from one party Democratic control, is further taxes on oil and gas production, which will only increase the end cost to consumers and do nothing to address the supply constraints that we have with American energy. I do want to ask about that a little bit, because you did see legislation passed recently that deals with funding for semiconductors, semiconductor manufacturing. You're seeing a legislation that's going to be voted on in the House on Friday, dealing with tax credits for various renewable energy sources, as, as well as other things that are meant to, to lower some costs. I mean, aren't those bills meant to bolster the supply side of things? What we're seeing is government subsidies in specific industries, green energy, chips, other key uh, sectors in the economy. But what we need to be working on in Washington is the fundamentals of economic growth to allow this to be a sustainable growth. And one of the challenges we see is a refusal to unleash American energy, which is a key component of the inflationary pressure people are feeling. Further, they're actually raising taxes on a whole host of businesses that is going to come and impact everyday Americans, whether or not that's a, that's a tax on stock buyback that's going to hurt American retirement accounts, whether or not that's the tax on domestic production of oil and natural gas, which people are going to feel when they're heating their homes this upcoming winter or filling up their car with gas this summer. And so I continue to see the policies move in the wrong direction. Simply subsidizing key sectors does not make a sustainable growth pattern in the United States. Congressman, talk with me a little bit about what Republicans are thinking. I know that right now you're working on a larger policy plan. Uh, Obviously, there is a really good chance right now that Republicans will be in the majority in the House next year and be able to implement things. Uh, I think, you know, we we could be easily see inflation still at a very high level uh, if uh, Republicans uh, get the gavel and control next year. So what are Republicans going to do to address some of this inflation and make sure that, that we're not going into a recession? Well, I, I, great question. And one is unleashing uh, American energy. We referenced that, too. We need to make sure that businesses are in a position to increase supply across the board. And so as we've seen uh, from this administration, we've seen constraints in particular in the supply chain. We need to be allowing businesses uh, to go out to hire people, to bring workers in from the sidelines, changing those key social policies that have left far too many workers Uh, on the sidelines. And then we need to do a broader approach here of unwinding a lot of the COVID era policies that are still impacting Americans every day. That's everything from addressing ways that we can look at the social safety net structures that were altered during the COVID period. How do we unwind those to help workers get back up and on their feet and sustainably into the middle class? How do we unwind the tax policies that this administration is moving forward by increasing their increasing taxes on businesses and all Americans? I think we should be doing the opposite, in particular during a period of time of recession, which we are seeing ourselves in. I'm wondering if you do think that there is something to be said about the renewable energies that we are seeing being promoted in the bill on Friday. I know obviously that Republicans are not supporting the bill. Republicans will not be voting for the bill. But at the same point, I've spoken with with folks in your in your uh, conference, including Congressman Garrett Graves, who feels like there is some spot for renewables. How are you thinking about that? We need an all of the above energy approach. There's absolutely a need for additional sources of clean energy. There needs to be more wind, more solar uh, and we could go down the line. The key is that market fundamentals 
need to be driving this movement forward, not simply government subsidies. And so I'm a, I'm a believer that there probably will be more electric cars in the future. I don't think it's the role of the federal government to be subsidizing people who can afford a $65,000 electric vehicle. I think that's the wrong approach. I think that's an inappropriate use of taxpayer dollars. And so I'm of a believer that we do need an all-of-the-above energy approach. We're going to see more investment in domestic clean production of energy, but simply working on the subsidy side uh, rather than looking at how we broaden the supply generally, I think is the wrong approach. I also want to ask you a little bit, obviously, there were elections last night in Wisconsin. Um, you easily won your, your primary. Congratulations on that. Uh, but there were a number of really contested races. Uh, I know that a lot of big questions about the governor, about other other uh, seats in, in, the, in Wisconsin. What were your sort of main takeaways from last night? Uh, the, the main takeaway in Wisconsin to me is that people are ready to move forward and talk about how do we unwind ourselves from one-party Democratic control in Washington uh, and a Democratic governor in Wisconsin uh, that hasn't been good for workers? People want to rip the Band-Aid off the COVID-era policies that we've seen, some of the spending that we have seen that's driven the inflation. People want to get spending under control. They want inflation under control. They want to make sure, in particular in schools, that children are being taught how to think, not what to think, and that we keep our communities safe. And so I think we're going to have a robust, national dialogue and a national dialogue taking place in the state of Wisconsin as well about the direction of our country. And I think people are ready uh, to put a check on the Biden administration. I also wanted to get your thoughts just on the Senate race. There's been some criticism of the uh, Republican who currently uh, has has the seat, Ron Johnson, just given some of the statements that he's made that have been a bit controversial on on COVID, uh, just on various uh, conspiracy theories kind of flying around. And I'm wondering if, if you can comment a little bit if you think that that kind of rhetoric is helpful for the Republican Party. I think Ron Johnson's ultimately going to be successful. And I think it's because he shares what's on his mind. And so he shares the frustration, I think, that a lot of voters have of what's taken place in our country over the past uh, two years. And so that frustration, I think, will show up on the polls. If people want to get our way of life back, they want to rip off the bandit of these COVID-era policies. They want to get prices under control so they can afford the things for their families. And so we're going to have uh, uh, one of the major and most important U.S. Senate races uh, in the country, but I think when voters walk into the polling booth, they're going to want to return to the life we had pre-COVID rather than continuing under this high inflationary environment that we've seen. I think the result of that will be Ron Johnson will be successful come November. But haven't we kind of already moved past COVID? I mean, you and I are both on Capitol Hill. The, the masks are off there. Folks are back. You know, you're not, we're not having to even, even in D.C., show our vaccine cards that many places anymore. I mean, wouldn't you say that, that COVID's already over and yet we're still struggling with this inflation? But I, I would say it's a lot of the COVID-era policies that put us in the place that we are today. I'd say there's still a lot of the spending that's related uh, to COVID-era spending policies that are still flowing through the economy and having a significant impact. The, the so-called American Rescue Plan that was $1.9 trillion of new government spending authorized uh, just over now a year and a half ago. But the reality of that is that spending is going to continue for the next eight years in front of us. And so we have an opportunity to unwind many of these policies and get spending under control. And so the fact that COVID is beyond us, and I believe we are, from a health standpoint, more or less on the other side of it, 
I do think that a lot of the policies that were put in place beefed up uh, social safety net programs that encouraged workers to stay on the sideline rather than getting back to work. We're still navigating through those terrible policy decisions. And that is one of the key drivers, I believe, of the inflationary environment that we're in. I did want you to very quickly weigh in on the search warrant that was executed down in Mar-a-Lago. Can you just talk very quickly about if you think that what what is needed at this point? What should the next step be? Should there be an investigation of the FBI or do we need to really know more information about what that search warrant was based on? The, the raid is unquestionably unprecedented. I think what is so challenging for myself and many people is the FBI and the DOJ have not come forward and provided an update. And so what I would like to see is additional transparency. We need to understand what was the decision-making process that went into this, why was this conducted, and I think the reason so many people like myself have questions is because we haven't seen that transparency yet from the FBI in the DOJ. And so I think step one is the FBI and the DOJ need to come forward and provide the American people an update. Congressman, thank you again so much for being with us today. Thank you. That was Congressman Brian Stile, Republican from the great Midwest state of Wisconsin. In just a minute, we are going to assemble the panel for a deep dive into today's inflation numbers, what they mean for Biden, and if after months and months of low approval numbers, he might finally get a break this week. And we'll look forward to what uh, both the upcoming primaries as well as last night's primaries. This is Emily. This is I'm Emily Wilkins. This is Bloomberg. Face it. Your business is unique. It faces challenges and risks that are specific to your industry and to the skills you and your team bring to every challenge. You need experienced insurance professionals. The Hartford accepts the challenge. The Hartford understands that protecting your business with a proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can help provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid to large size companies like yours to easily manage risk from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. With experience in underwriting, risk engineering services, and claims, the Hartford faces any challenge to deliver innovative, customizable solutions that your industry and your unique company demand. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. Meet Gary. Gary's about to become an Einstein in an instant. Whoa, Einstein hair. I like it. That's right, Gary, because you're using Salesforce powered by Einstein AI to connect data, predict business trends, generate personalized content, and wow customers. I do feel a lot smarter. Because you're not just Gary anymore. You're Gary, empowered by Einstein AI. Did you hear that, team? I'm an Einstein. Oh, can I get a selfie? The number one AI CRM. Now everyone's an Einstein with Salesforce. This is Bloomberg Sound On on Bloomberg Radio. This is Emily Wilkins here with Sound On. Obviously, big news of today was that CPI report. Inflation, it might be at 8.5%, but President Joe Biden wants you to focus on one number, that month-over-month change, zero. Today, we received news that our economy had 0% inflation in the month of July, 0%. Here's what that means. While the price of some things go up, went up last month, the price of other things went down by the same amount. The result, zero inflation last month, but people were still hurting, but zero inflation last month. 
zero zero zero. Well, let's bring in Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis. Uh, Rick, I'll just start with you here. I mean, is it fair to really be focusing on the number zero when inflation is at 8.5 percent? Well, I think they just picked something that they thought was sellable and wouldn't get them into trouble in the future, right? I mean, like they can make it sound really good. Hey, we had zero inflation in the month, but you know, the options are, oh, is this peak inflation or are we now seeing a drop in inflation? And and the question for them is going to be how they present this to the electorate who are going to be voting in a couple of months. And I think it's kind of a an interesting uh, trick that they're playing, you know, by picking on the zero uh, because it just it's a it's a positive number. Right. Everybody's been talking about how much inflation has been going up and up and up. And and I think this is a number that gets them comfortable. It gives them something positive to say without getting trapped into, gosh, what if it goes back up or bounces up, you know, next month and then all of a sudden, you know, that zero isn't a zero anymore. Yeah, it feels like we're doing the whole transitory inflation thing again. I mean, as Lurk, as, as you literally began talking, uh, the White House press office just put out another release and the, the headline is a month of zero inflation. Uh, Jeannie, though, I mean, I, I take Rick's point well that, you know, they can message all they want on this zero number, but you still have higher inflation uh, for voters. Are they really paying attention to the fact that inflation is 0% this month? Is this actually going to make a difference to the average American? Zero has never sounded so good to the White House. That is the the watchword of the day. Um, And yes, it has been a very, very good week, good week and a half for this White House. And, you know, if anybody had told me a year ago that this is where they would be, killing the number one terrorist, the CHIPS Act, the Reconciliation Bill, you know, those the, the PACT Act, you know, so much. And now inflation today, we get the number. It is cooling off. I mean, that is the reality. It is slowing from a year ago. We don't have to talk about this 40-year high. And, and you and Joe Matthew don't have to play the number one song from 40 years ago so we can all remember how bad it was. So this is a very good day for this White House. And let's add to that, gas prices down for the 50 seventh day in a row that you know now hovering i think nationally around four dollars plus or minus four dollars so is it perfect no to rick's point you know should it go up you know they're going to have to message that but i think that they are trying to be very careful and moderate while making the case we're going in the right direction i want to dig into a little bit about biden's week. Gene, you laid it out really well. You got this CPI report. You had him signing the, the CHIPS Act yesterday. You had him sign the Burn Pact Act today. On Friday, the House is very likely to pass parts of his signature leg- uh, legislative plan. Uh, Rick, are we going to start seeing a turnaround in Biden's numbers? Well, it's certainly a better messaging right now. Um, you know, the fact that they're actually getting something done on Capitol Hill, it, he's able to be seen you know, signing important legislation, delivering financial aid to people uh, all up and down the economic uh, sector. But, you know, then wild cards happen. And the FBI raid on Donald Trump's home in Mar-a-Lago kind of blew a couple of these big announcements right off the front page of the newspaper. And so I, I think that he's still struggling with how to do uh, positive announcements without Donald Trump interrupting his show. And the reality is he did have a good week. He's had a good month, really, uh, in August. Not a month that many people are paying attention. But when Donald Trump gets to grab the headline, and, and he didn't even have to try to do it. It was done to him. 
Um, it, it's just it an unforced error. It was done by Biden's error. own attorney general. Exactly. To a certain extent, yeah. Uh, Jeannie, what do you think here? Is there any way for Biden to really begin to get his poll numbers back up? I mean, if, if a week like this doesn't do it, what is? Yeah, It's tough, but I will note, I was just looking at some of the three latest polls from August 7th to August 9th. You've got Reuters, Rasmussen, and Economist. He is ticking up, and now he is 40 to 45% approval. Now, that may not sound perfect. He's still underwater. But, you know, you look at, you know, pre- previous polls, and he was down sometimes in the low to mid-30s. So he's ticking up there. Um, you know, is it going to change him completely? No. The reality is, I think, very important. The Democrats have been trying to show, and Biden as a part of this in this last month, as Rick said, that Washington is able to work. You know, narrowly, not doing as much as they wanted it to do, certainly, but they are able to talk about important pieces of legislation that are widely supported among Americans. Do I think it's going to be a game-changer in the midterms? No. I think, though, that coupled with Donald Trump in the news and some of these extremist Republican candidates may be enough to save the Democrats the House. I mean, the Senate, rather. They will lose the House. And that in and of itself is a huge win for Democrats. If it happens. <laughs> a huge if. I mean, Rick, I do want to toss it to you. We've got only about 30 seconds left, but you're the one with campaign experience. How difficult it is, is it to take wins like this in Washington and really translate them to voters? Yeah, you need sustainability. You need to be able to do it over a decent amount of time. You can't just have one good day and then, you know, a series of uh, back backlashes. So uh, I think these guys are starting to get their, their mojo back at the White House. If they can launch a good campaign post Labor Day and let it last for a while and not be interrupted by global events or Donald Trump, they have a shot. Well, Rick and Jeannie, stick around. We will be back to talk a little bit more about some of those accomplishments as well as the week that former President Donald Trump had. Certainly a lot of headlines there. Coming up, we will speak to Greg Giroux with Bloomberg Government about the primaries. This is Bloomberg. Broadcasting live from our nation's capital, Bloomberg 99.1, to New York, Bloomberg 1130, to Boston, Bloomberg 1061, to San Francisco, Bloomberg 960, to the country, Sirius XM Channel 119, and around the globe, the Bloomberg Business App and BloombergRadio.com. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew. Wednesday in an election year, which means that last night, another round of states held their primaries. This includes setting up a marquee Senate match in Wisconsin and a Trump-backed candidate wound up having quite a good night. But the most interesting House primary is arguably yet to come. We're going to break it all down with Bloomberg government elections reporter Greg Giroux, a guru of all things elections at Bloomberg government. Greg Giroux. Uh, Greg, thank you so much for joining us. Obviously, a lot that went on last night, numerous states holding their primaries. I wanted to get started um, on the major win, I think, for Trump last night. His endorsed candidate for Wisconsin governor, businessman Tim Michaels, defeated former Lieutenant Governor Rebecca Kleefish on Tuesday to secure that Republican nomination. Uh, the win's going to pit, pit Michaels against Democratic Governor Tony Evers in November. Uh, in conceding the race, uh, Kleefish told supporters that the fight's now against Tony Evers and the liberals who want to take our way of life. Let's listen to what Michaels told his supporters. And as governor, my number one priority is to take care of the hardworking people of Wisconsin. Definitely well, all the way with Wisconsin, all the way with cheese curds. Greg Giroux, what was your takeaway from that governor's race last night? 
Well, that Republican primary, Emily, really accentuated the former president's you know, continued sway in Republican primaries. Tim Michaels was uh, probably began that race as the underdog, but he got a well-timed endorsement by Trump, and he defeated, uh, as you mentioned, Rebecca Kleefish, uh, who was Wisconsin's lieutenant governor under Scott Walker, the early uh, frontrunner. She had Walker's endorsement, and also Mike Pence's. So this was um, a proxy battle between Trump and Pence that uh, Trump won. And I'd also note um, that the Wisconsin Republican Assembly Speaker Robin Voss was almost unseated by a pro-Trump challenger just because uh, Voss uh, refused to uh, agree with the ex-president's uh, much debunked false claims that the Biden 2020 win over Trump in Wisconsin could be decertified. So Voss held on to his, barely held on to his seat uh, against a uh, underfunded Trump challenger. So uh, this is still uh, still very much Donald Trump's Republican Party, especially in Wisconsin. I mean, Greg, should we should we be surprised by this? I mean, Wisconsin, they've got a Democratic senator. They've got a Democratic governor. Uh, they've you know voted for Democrats in the past. What do you make of the fact that Trump backed candidates did as well as they did? Uh, well, it's, it's definitely, on general elections, it's definitely a quintessential swing state. Wisconsin's the only state that was within one point uh, for the winner of the 2016 and 2020 presidential elections. Um in you know, Republican primaries are just a different ball game because it's a smaller and uh, much different ideological electorate. But now um, you know that we have to move forward to the general election, where I think you know Tim Michaels and um, is probably going to have to maybe modulate uh, his strategy and maybe some of his rhetoric to compete in a 50-50 state against the Democratic governor Tony Evers. And then we've got that uh, marquee Senate race where um, yesterday we had uh, Lieutenant Governor Mandela Barnes, uh, a Democrat, uh, win the party's nomination to face uh, Republican incumbent Ron Johnson. That's going to be one of the five or six Senate races, I think, that will determine which party wins a majority in November. Yeah, I was about to ask about that one. I mean, you mentioned that Michael sort of need to regulate his rhetoric a little bit. I mean, certainly Ron Johnson has had his fair share of controversial statements, particularly around COVID. Is he also going to have to change his tune a little bit if he hopes to keep his seat? I think he'll probably I think he'll any adjustments he makes will probably depend on the political environment. Um, you know, he's um, he's known for um, kind of fiscal issue conservatism. You know, I remember when I covered his first race in 2010 when he upset Russ Feingold. He very much ran with the the, the energy and enthusiasm of the, the Tea Party movement as it existed then. Um, he still focuses a lot on cutting regulation, cutting taxes. Uh, cutting spending um, has had some controversial statements, as you mentioned, but um, this is going to be a uh, very close race for sure. I also see that Vermont is on the path to get its first woman to represent the state in Congress. Greg, what took Vermont so long? I thought I thought Vermont would have had this one already. I would have, too. And Vermont actually has one of the best records in the country when it comes to electing women to state legislative offices. They've never it's the only state that's never elected a woman to Congress. That's going to change in November, where I think uh, Becca Ballant, who is the uh, state Senate uh, president pro tempore, won the key Democratic primary in uh, yesterday for uh, Vermont's lone statewide seat. Peter Welsh is giving up that seat to run for the Senate. So that created an opening. Uh, One reason why uh, women have not had really many opportunities in Vermont is that it has just one seat in the U.S. House, as I mentioned, but also a lot of the male incumbents who have served there, including Pat Leahy, the 48-year senator, Bernie Sanders, and Peter Welsh have served for a very long time. 
It, it, always, it is always very odd for me to think that Bernie Sanders is the junior senator from, from Vermont, just because Pat Leahy has been there for so long. Well, Greg, I want to look forward a little bit to next week uh, when Liz Cheney, daughter of Dick Cheney, outspoken anti-Trumper, is going to face the fate of Wyoming voters. I saw there was a poll recently from the Casper Star Tribune showing that she is trailing her opponent by 22 points. Greg, is there any way that Liz Cheney pulls this off? It's hard to see how she does it. I mean, she's the clear underdog in a state where Trump won 70 percent of the vote in 2020. That was his best showing nationwide. And so of the 10 Republicans who voted to impeach Trump, you know, four declined to run for election. And Cheney is the last of the six seeking reelection to face the primary voters. You know, three of those six have already lost in the primary, two barely advanced. And Cheney is more likely than not to lose to Harriet Hageman, who's uh, backed by uh, Trump. So uh, we may have at the end of the day. One, maybe two of the 10 Republicans who voted to impeach Trump left in the next Congress in January. Yeah. I mean, also yesterday, even though this primary happened back on August 2nd, you saw Congresswoman Jamie Herrera Butler, uh, a congresswoman in Washington state, also one of the 10 who voted for Trump's impeachment, also concede to her opponent. Uh, there was a was a Washington has a bit of a different primary structure, but basically the top two spots, one of them was taken by a Democrat and one was taken by a Republican who Trump endorsed. Uh, Greg, we only have about 30 seconds left. But from your perspective, it, it seems like Trump is still the kingmaker within the Republican Party. Is that fair to say? Yes, he still has a lot of clout. And as, as we've seen from the uh, results of the primaries involving the Trump impeachers, including Jamie Herrera Butler, it really underscores how Trump and his supporters have almost completely purged the House Republican conference of Trump opponents and skeptics. Well, Greg Giroux, thank you so much for joining us. I'm sure we'll be hearing from you soon as the primaries continue. Uh, that's Greg Giroux, Bloomberg government election reporter, the one of the hosts of the Down Ballot Counts podcast. Definitely take a listen to that. Up next, we're going to get into Burn Pitts legislation finally signed into law and the wild week that former President Donald Trump has had. I'm Emily Wilkins. This is Bloomberg. Face it, your business is unique. It faces challenges and risks that are specific to your industry and to the skills you and your team bring to every challenge. You need experienced insurance professionals. The Hartford accepts the challenge. The Hartford understands that protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can help provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-sized companies like yours to easily manage risk from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. With experience in underwriting, risk engineering services, and claims, the Hartford faces any challenge to deliver innovative, customizable solutions that your industry and your unique company demand. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. Johann Schmiegel, you've got the world's highest IQ. Yes, 247. Wow. Did you know that thanks to Salesforce with Einstein AI, everyone's smarter? Now everyone's an Einstein, just like you. But I'm the smartest. Not anymore. With connected data and trusted AI, everyone can give customers experiences they've only dreamed of. Oh, look, here's a few Einsteins now. Hey, hi. Hola, amigo. Everyone's an Einstein? It's okay, Johan. Let it happen. The number one AI CRM. Now everyone's an Einstein with Salesforce. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On on Bloomberg Radio. Usually, usually, 
August in D.C. is quiet. Lawmakers are gone. Everyone goes on vacation. But that is not the case this week. We have all been busy. President Joe Biden among us. Signing, uh, he signed legislation into law expanding care to veterans who have suffered from toxins released by burn pits. I know that we've talked a lot about this particular bill on the show. It has now become law, but even we might not have talked about it as much as the former host of The Daily Show, John Stewart, who camped out on the Senate steps with veterans and families who were impacted to pressure the Senate to pass a bill. He was at the White House today with President Biden and Biden made sure to give him a shout out. And John, I want to thank you again. I, uh, I wanted to come up and hang out in the Capitol steps. The Secret Service said I'd be a pain in the neck. They wouldn't let me do it. So at least we did a little video on there. But, uh, but what you've done, John, matters. And you know it does. I, I, you should know. It really, really matters. You refuse to let anybody forget. Refuse to let them forget. And we owe you big, man. We owe you big. Let's go ahead and bring back in Bloomberg Politics contributors Jimmy Shanzano and Rick Davis. You know, uh, Rick, I feel like this bill could have been such an easy slam dunk, right? Getting help for veterans. Everyone supports the veterans. And yet you had to have Jon Stewart get involved because the bureaucracy of Washington just weighed this bill down. It was bogged down by process. It was bogged down by politics. Rick, what is your overall takeaway from the movement of this bill? Yeah, I think that this is a bill that was going to happen. And the, as you point out, Emily, the, the process got in its way. I, I don't know any Republicans who were actually opposed to the bill, but they got characterized for voting against it because of some procedural issues, uh, especially with where the money was coming from to fund it. It was a big, big funding item over, you know, almost $300 billion. And um, and and it was going to happen. It just didn't happen along the way that that it should have. And And I think that John Stewart took good advantage of the fact that sometimes uh, making sausage in Washington, D.C. looks a little gross. Uh, but, you know, they got the bill out and they got the bill passed and signed. And I don't think that uh, uh, people will remember sort of the hiccups along the way. I think this will be a bill that everybody goes back after recess and says to their constituents, we took care of veterans. Jeannie, do other uh, advocacy groups need to take a page out of the playbook here and find a celebrity to camp out on the Capitol steps until their legislation's passed? Yeah, it's not a bad strategy, but I I think it's really important to stop for a moment and say this was a long-term promise made to veterans. It's a critically important bill, very deeply personal to the president. He attributes the death of his son, Bo, to these toxic pits. And so, you know, this is a very big moment across the board. And it's, you know, as Rick, it's bipartisan. The Republicans got caught up in the spending issue, you know, discretionary otherwise. But, you know, this is a huge win for veterans and a very long time coming. And it was a very moving bill signing. And John Stewart deserves a lot of credit. Um, but, you know, I, I think the celebrity aside, we should underscore how important this is for veterans who have suffered long, too long as a result of this not being taken care of much earlier. Absolutely. I mean, to think that these are folks who, you know, sacrificed um, their time and effort and, and work to defend us and that they got 
sick on the job and that, you know, we it's taken us this long to do something. Uh, certainly a, a very big moment there at the White House today. Um, we think we mentioned a little bit earlier about how uh, Donald Trump was stumping all over Biden's week. I'm just going to go ahead and follow that trend because there is so much to discuss here. You had a federal appeals court saying that a uh, House committee could be looking could now have Biden's t- uh, sorry rather Trump's tax returns. You obviously saw that really unprecedented search warrant executed at Mar-a-Lago by the FBI, and then today uh, you saw Trump go for a live deposition with the New York Attorney General. They're looking into his real estate and, and the uh, amount that he he claimed that it was worth. And then when he was there, Trump said, I'm just going to plead the fifth. Uh, and, and you think that maybe after all of this, if you're wondering how it's playing out, uh, Senator Lindsey Graham of South Carolina uh, has a has a big takeaway on this one. I believed he was going to run before. I'm stronger in my belief now. Rick Davis, Tell me about the dynamics going on here. I mean, this doesn't sound like a great week for Trump, and yet it, it seems like a, there's a lot of enthusiasm and momentum behind him right now. Yeah, and, and that doesn't even cover half of the lawsuits that have been registered, both civil and federal and state, uh, against uh, Donald Trump. I mean, he's going to spend a lot of time in depositions. Uh, but uh, look, I mean, it, it does, as Lindsay say, kind of force him out, right? I mean, what's a good way of wiping out a lot of these uh, lawsuits? Uh, run and win another term in, uh, for president. So I, I think it's almost like an action-forcing event. You know, the, the dial is so turned up on all this legal harangue against Donald Trump that it's almost leaving him no option but to run. And um the, the legal process has to run in due course. It's going to. There's no stopping it. Um, these things are all going to find their, their, their level set. But uh, it does kind of force Donald Trump's hand. And we saw him release, you know, right after the FBI raid on Mar-a-Lago, uh, a very well-produced uh, video that was obviously done in advance, ready to start talking about him running for president. And I, I really, by the time the three and a half minute video was over, I thought, it, I assume it's going to say at the end, he's running for president. Yeah, that was, uh, I think it, they also displayed that video at, at CPAC, the, the big Republican annual conference that, that took place this year, correct? Yeah, a, a version of it. I think they uh, juiced it up a little bit for this occasion. But like, this is where their heads are. They are out there actively telling people, keep your powder dry, uh, talking to donors about the run, uh, you know, and he, of, of course, Donald Trump is a master at the marketing effort, and and he doesn't know anything to market better than himself, and so he's taken full advantage of the opportunities that that these lawsuits are giving him to uh, to look like that this is going to be the reason he's going to run. I, I wouldn't be surprised to hear out of his mouth, you know, if I hadn't been sued so many times, I probably wouldn't have run for president. <laughs> I mean, this is the, the, this is really a kind of a grade A class in in making lemons uh, or making rather lemon lemonade out of lemons. Uh, Jeannie, I wanted to switch to you sort of for the, the Democratic side on this. I mean, you have seen narratives and studies that have said that when Trump tends to be in the news, it can actually be a good thing for Democrats because it really mobilizes their base and gets them to turn out. Is that something we could potentially see this time around, too? 
Yeah, we can. Um, You know, Donald Trump has had a very good, as you spoke with uh, Greg, a very good uh, showing in all of these primaries or many of these primaries. You know, there were some exceptions like Georgia, for instance. But across the board, you know, I would say 80, 90 percent of his endorsements at these top levels have done very well. But Democrats are betting on the fact that the very people he is getting into these, uh, you know, positions of being the Republican nominee in some of these states like Arizona, Ohio, Pennsylvania. Georgia Senate are going to not be able to pull it through in the general election, which will help them potentially hold the Senate. So from that perspective, Democrats feel like the more Trump in the news, the better. Um, you know, the the flip side of this, of course, is as we look to, for instance, the raid, um, as we look to the Donald Trump pleading the fifth, um, I noted the fact that both the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times have pieces today that this puts real pressure on the Attorney General Merrick Garland to put up and show why they had to take this unprecedented step. And it is truly historic and unprecedented. Um, Why not, for instance, couldn't they cooperate? Why not do this via subpoena? Why this sort of dramatic, what Donald Trump called falsely a raid on his compound or his Mar-a-Lago estate? So that, I think, puts real pressure on the attorney general, who, of course, is, you know, works uh, with and, and for the Democrats and Joe Biden. And in turn, it does energize Republicans. So I think this can split both ways in that perspective. And I think that's really something to watch. And as Rick said, Trump is saying now he's there after me because they're worried I'm going to run. So he's marching himself right into a potential run. No, and I think, Jeannie, that's such a a great point to break up because now I think there is this big question. Well, what prompted this search of Mar-a-Lago? What were they looking for? What's actually the takeaway? I mean, we know that there were some uh, boxes that uh, the former Trump administration gave over to the National Archives uh, willingly. I think it was about 15 boxes of information. This is before the, the, the search. And it's a kind of a question now of like, well, was, you know, what was missing? Was there something in those documents? I do want to pivot quickly uh, to the deposition today for the New York Attorney General. Uh, Trump went ahead and pleaded the fifth. Rick, what does that actually mean in terms of the investigation? Well, as Donald Trump has said in the past, only guilty people take the fifth. So I can only assume it applies to him. Um, you know, look, I mean, I, I, I think these are the kinds of uh, tactics that uh, uh, real estate people sometimes use in New York. And, and it's pretty clear that they think, um, you know, these inflated valuations and diminished uh, insurance coverages, you know, gave him uh, out, outstanding financial leverage. And he's now paying a price for that because, you know, uh, the state is looking into it and, and sounds like they've got quite a case. So the fact that he even had to do a... Um, um, a subpoena and, and talk to the, the case officers It was a victory for the state. And lots of investigations that we will be keeping our eye on here at Bloomberg. Jeannie Shianzano, Rick Davis, thank you so much for joining us, as well as Greg Giroux and Republican Congressman Brian Stile. I'm Emily Wilkins. In for Joe Matthew, this is Bloomberg. The Hartford understands protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-size companies like yours to help manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com.
Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. Join global business leaders and investors at the Bloomberg Sustainable Business Summit, returning to Singapore on July 31st. Take part in solutions-driven discussions on how to drive business value and unlock opportunity while remaining nimble in times of change and greater ESG accountability. Learn more at BloombergLive.com slash SustainableBizSingapore. That's BloombergLive.com slash SustainableBizSingapore.